Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. bug me if I don't say this, I'm a football fan and I've watched how much my club has suffered this year, we've had ownership changes, the men's team hasn't been brilliant, Chelsea fans this is for you. Welcome back to the View from the Bridge podcast, I am your host Daniel Childs. Last week we focused on the terrible men's season and how awful things have been over the past nine months but this week things are a lot more positive uh, regarding the women's side of things another WSL title a fourth in a row and an FA Cup triumph to speak of very glad to say the women's football writer for reach Beth Lindup joins me now how are you doing Beth yeah I'm good thank you Daniel thank you very much for having me no worries um I think the first thing to speak of uh, before starting this podcast in the intro we just heard Emma Hayes when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply quotes particularly after the FA Cup final where she was talking about Chelsea fans and how that victory was with Chelsea fans and and how much the club has changed and suffered over the past year I felt I mean personally as a Chelsea fan I I found that quite a telling moment and and quite a a brilliant thing to hear from someone at Chelsea to, to kind of admit that over the past year does that kind of reflect how humble and connected Emma Hayes is as a personality to the club yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's over this past sort of 11 years, she's sort of morphed into to Mrs. Chelsea, really, hasn't she? She's been such an ever-present. And I think I heard an, an analogy last year, which perfectly sort of sums it up, is she's almost like the queen and she's had this succession of prime ministers, aka different managers, and she's been sort of the one constant and, and steady presence and very much gets what it means to be Chelsea and, and gets what it means to the club. You could see sort of she was visibly moved, you know, on that final day at Reading with this big bank of, of Chelsea fans sort of singing and, and, and you know, giving her all the thanks and, and, and praise because, um, you know, it has been a difficult season for her personally. On, on and off the pitch, you know, it hasn't been the easiest season for Chelsea, but um, there was just a sense that this win, as much as it was a fourth successive title, it meant a little bit more to her, which was, was really nice to see. I found it quite remarkable watching the final day against Reading. Um, and I believe the commentators got it right. It was the first unchanged 11 of the campaign, which is just, I mean, it's just remarkable to think of a title winning team having that on the final day of the season. I mean, it kind of speaks, doesn't it, to the, dis- the disruption of this season comparative to others. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think in a, in a lot of ways, really, with Chelsea, that they're, they're victims of their own success. You know, it's maybe a little bit like Manchester City on the men's side of things, not in terms of financial sort of uh, real breaking or anything like that, but in terms of they've become such this well-oiled winning machine over, over the years. And it almost feels like you want, from a neutral perspective, you want someone else to win because you know, that it just makes things a little bit more exciting, doesn't it, when you've not got the same team winning. And and therefore, I think Chelsea maybe don't get the credit that they deserve. And, and as you said, this season, they've been massively disrupted with injuries. You know, of course, other teams have too. Arsenal have probably had the worst of it. But Chelsea, you know, they've been without Frank Kirby, arguably the, the best player, one of the best players, most technically gifted players. Um, you know, she's been out since February with a knee, knee issue, sort of the, the business end of the campaign. You know, Emma Hayes had to do without Millie Bright, you know, best centre-back. Kadesha Buchanan's been out as well. And um, Peniel Harder for much of the season hasn't been available. So it's been about adapting and, and, you know, finding a feat and getting these sort of newer players or younger, less experienced players to sort of, um, you know, find their feet as well. And I think that's what Emma Hayes is so good at, is building and rebuilding winning teams. So, um, yeah, I think that, that stat about it being the first unchanged 11 is, is remarkable. But, yeah, a testament to, to what Emma's done this season. Would you say this is, because of that, the most impressive of the run of four title wins? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the most difficult things, like Chelsea in a way make it look easy, but, you know, to, to keep winning is is a very, very difficult thing. And to build a dynasty, which Emma Hayes has, you know, that's a real, real challenge. And when you consider all of the injuries that they've had, and also you consider Emma Hayes personally, what she's had to go through this season, obviously missed... Um, a number of games sort of in the autumn after undergoing an emergency hysterectomy. Obviously, she's been very open about her battle with, with endometriosis. So, um, you know, for her to have to deal with that off the pitch um, and then also the issues with with the injuries as well. Um, against the backdrop of a club, like as you said earlier, that have been sort of, have had a very difficult season, you know, and, and the mood at Chelsea maybe hasn't been particularly, uh, particularly warm and, and settled for, for much of this campaign. So, um, there have been a number of, of um, things for, for Emma Hayes to contend with and she's just sort of swatted it aside. So, yeah, I'd probably say it is the most impressive um, title win of her time at Chelsea mm. so far. It also kind of reflects, doesn't it, because, you know, she had to go through those awkward questions like Tuckle did at the time through the sanctions mm. period last season and how badly things have gone on the men's side and the, the amount of disruption behind the scenes and kind of a club feeling like it's it's lost its way. It does this kind of reveal, I guess, to the new ownership because it, it kind of feels like from an outside perspective, they've kind of allowed the women's side because it is so settled and has been so successful in recent years to kind of just get on with things. And that has proven, that stability has proven to, to keep the club winning. I mean, isn't that a very telling lesson to the new ownership heading into this summer yeah it absolutely is and I mean of course you know if you've got a manager for for a while and, and things aren't going well then you you have to act and you know that's on the men's side of things that's that's the Chelsea way isn't it and it's proven incredibly successful for the club over the years you know a bit of a conveyor belt of managers but they've all been you know successful and well not all of them but a lot of them have been successful um but yeah I think the sort of the stability that Emma Hayes has brought has been it's been really important. And I, th I think as well, you know, this season they, they've got a, a record points tally. You know, it's one of those things that has maybe gone under the radar a little bit, but it's not been easy for them. It's not been sort of, you know, cruise control. We can we can do what we want and not, you know, they, they, they've absolutely, you know, smashed it out of, the, out of the park again this season. So, yeah, I think a large part of, of that is down to the, the winning culture and, and the 
you know the, the environment that Emma Hayes has created at Chelsea. Yeah, it was interesting. Like looking back now, I was I was there. I was lucky to be there for the the final game of the previous season against Man United. You know, the famous Sam Kerr goal and and against Manchester United. You know, the club that was sort of rising and and you felt like they they gave Chelsea a scare that day. And and of course, a year later, they're up against them in the title race. They're up against them in the FA Cup final. And I know Emma Hayes pushed back on this, didn't she, quite recently in terms of this dominance kind of it being boring. Well, you know, they've had to win the title on final days. It's not exactly like they've cruised to it by 10 points and, and the season's been done halfway through. Precisely, yeah. And, and it's almost like I think this Manchester United side have maybe pushed Chelsea to new levels. And that's what that's what you want to see. You want to see title races going down to the wire. And, and it has done, as you said, it's not been a procession. It's not been easy. There was sort of a period a couple of months ago where it looked like United were potentially favourites because, mm. you know, they were having things going, going for them. They were having a lot of last minute goals and also because of the Champions League and the, the various cups that, that uh, Chelsea have been in this season, they've almost been playing catch up for a lot of the campaign. They've almost always, until sort of a couple of weeks ago, had games in hand, um, which in one sense, you know, that I guess it's been in their own hands for, for longer than it's maybe appeared. However, you'd always rather have points on the board, wouldn't you? So, you know, United and, and Manchester City as well have had that advantage over Chelsea and Arsenal these last few months. They've had those extra points on the boards and it's been down to both Chelsea and Arsenal to to claw their way back up. And I think I've always felt, not to not to sound too sort of uh, like I'm predicting the future here, but I've always felt for this season that Chelsea were going to win it because I just think, you know, when the margins are so fine and obviously it's only two points in the end that that you know has pipped Manchester United to, to the title but when the margins are so fine you've got to back people who've been there and done it and you know this Chelsea team is, is a team of winners now they know what it takes to win you know it's not necessarily about putting in you know incredible swashbuckling performances every week it's just about getting over the line and, and they're very capable of, of doing that kind of because uh, we will get to sort of the, the summer and the new recruits and some of those players leaving later on uh, to wrap up the podcast and, and sort of look into next season of what uh, lies ahead for Chelsea to retain the title for a fifth time which would be quite remarkable um, I want to focus in on Guru Wrighton um, you know because I guess from an outsider perspective everyone talks about Sam Kerr and it's understandable because she's been an incredible player she scores big goals uh, consistently but Wrighton, when you look at the numbers, when you look at what she has contributed, particularly on the final day of the season, this is someone who, you know, has been an important player for Emma Hayes, but it really feels like this season has been one where she's come to the fore as one of Chelsea's most influential attackers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right with Sam Kerr. Obviously, she's an exceptional talent and, and has been the difference on a number of occasions this season. But I think there were some sort of raised eyebrows uh, a few weeks back when she was named sort of player of the year alongside Erling Haaland. You know, it, it almost felt a little bit like some of the people voting for that in the, the FWA would have maybe thought, you know, who, who do, whose name do we recognise the most? And they maybe took a punt on that, um, which is, you know, not downplaying Sam Kerr's achievements because, as I say, she's phenomenal. But yeah, Gera writing for me is absolutely Chelsea's player of the season. I think sort of she's been described as a, as a baby-faced assassin and, you know, that's sort of how, how she looks. But she's, you know, a phenomenal talent. Just got her stats up here. You know, it's... Um, nine goals, eleven assists in, in twenty-one matches. That's an incredible return, and I think she's um, she, a lot of Sam Kerr's success has, has been down to her and their partnership and and the way that they've linked up. You know, if you, I think back to that um, the FA Cup semi-final away to to Aston Villa, and it was such a tight game, and it was it was Guru popping up at the at the near post and clipping it over to to mm-hmm. Sam for for one nil Chelsea, and that got them through to the final. So. 
you know, they've been a lethal combination at, at times this season. And I, I think she maybe doesn't get, because she's not sort of a, an insanely prolific goal scorer, she doesn't maybe get the plaudits that, that she deserves. But yeah, an, an exceptional talent and, and has been a real joy to watch this season. I also think it's kind of that thing of, we see this so often in football, if, if sometimes you aren't scoring those kind of historic goals, sometimes people maybe don't remember you as much or kind of don't appreciate you as much. And I think that's, that's obviously something that Kerr, I think, has kind of added to her game this year, you know, particularly mm-hmm. in the FA Cup final, you know, scoring those big goals where a lot of, I guess, outside attention as the women's game is growing will, will look at Sam Kerr. But I, I completely agree with you. I think wrighton has been uh, so incredible and it just shows that continued sort of evolution where, say, if a Kirby is out, you know, you've got another player to step up and, and link with a player like Kerr, which is, which is so impressive. I do just want to bring up this thing because I, I did write because I know um, you were part of with the women's uh, football right writer team in terms of like looking through favorite moments of the season, and you uh, picked out kind of one of the funnier moments of the season, or I guess you could argue a more serious point in terms of um, the professionalism of the, the game. Do you just want to go through that because I did want to bring that up in in the podcast before we wrapped up? Yeah. So um, yeah, my my best moment of the season. Um, was was hot dog gate as a as a brand did it and and as you say it's actually you know um, I feel like I'm that Frank Lampard meme at the moment you know where he laughs and then he goes serious mm-hmm. but it, it's actually quite a serious uh, serious issue obviously back in in January the, the WSL game between Liverpool and, and Chelsea at King at Kings Meadow it was uh, abandoned after six seven minutes um, due to a frozen pitch and it was it was shambolic really and it was sort of the epitome it, it, it had come at a time when there'd been a number of postponements and and late cancellations across the WSL which really obviously undermined you know the professionalism of the league um, and yeah it was was the game going to be on was it going to be off the players were out training they slipped over and you know one player Shanice van der Sanden for, for Liverpool actually picked up an injury so it was a very serious situation it mm. should never have been allowed that game should never have been allowed to be played. You know, it was, it was, you know, really poor. And I think Emma Hayes has come out and said the club have learned a lot of lessons from that. And um, however, at the time she did sort of promise, obviously there were a lot of Liverpool fans who traveled all the way down to London and a lot of Chelsea fans very disappointed too. So she said, um, you know, to, to make it all up to you when the reverse fixture comes around, uh, when the um, rearranged fixture comes around, sorry, I'll, I'll provide you all with a hot dog. Um, and she actually then realised that the club don't sell hot dogs at, at Kings Meadow. So she had to, you know, obviously liaise with the club and they got in a hot dog van, especially. And yeah, courtesy of, I think it was the club who paid for it in the end, but they managed to get every single fan a, a free hot dog for the, the rearranged fixture in, in May, which was just a, a small token. And again, sort of, a, I guess, like a little, for people who don't know much about Emma Hayes, sort of epitomises her really. And you know, she's almost like the the matriarch of, of the women's super league i'm not sure she'd appreciate me saying that but she you know she's such this she's yeah. someone who people always turn to for comment when there's a there's a big issue affecting women's football and affecting the league um but yeah it was a it was a, a nice sort of way to to end what was quite a, a disappointing saga really it, it kind of speaks to you know that sense of of community and and connection that people have with the figures within the game i, I feel yeah. that obviously on on the men's side that feels very distant and and particularly this season and and i think that you know that lucky enough in very brief moment to to be in the press conference with emma hayes after the last title win you, you very much get that sense that this is someone who who deeply cares and despite being one of the best coaches in her profession there's there's no kind of ego there there's no sense that she regards herself in that in that way you know she's a very serious professional she's someone that 
quite clearly works very hard and, and is at the top of her game. But I don't know. It's just one of those things that I think reflects so well on the women's game as it as it grows and gets better that you wish at times at the elite men's level could be replicated because that sense of community is is just not there. And it's if we just talk about women's football, I think that's one of the strengths it has, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think sort of the the way that sort of sums it up perfectly was after after the title win, uh, after the, you know they won at Reading the other week, and I think Emma Hayes got asked about about the game and she said a response was it's gin o'clock which you know can you imagine sort of a um a premier league manager coming out and and saying that um and, and i think yeah that there's a more sort of human aspect i guess that sort of broadly across across the whole women's game and you know in a sense the, the premier league can't be like that because of, of of how the various demands that are on premier league managers but it is nice it is the, this real sense of community and you know what's been really nice for me this season sat in various different press boxes is seeing fan bases grow and seeing attendances up and seeing sort of dads and daughters go into games or dads and, and little boys as well you know it's not just sort of little girls you know we speak a lot about it's great to see little girls having role models to look up to which of course it is but it's boys too, and, and and that's the way that this game is going to grow. You know, it shouldn't be that this is just for women. It's for for everybody to enjoy. And um, yeah, it is it is a real sort of there's a, there's an inclusivity about it and a real sense of community, which is is unique. And I think that's something that I really hope. You know, as much as the game does need to evolve in certain ways, I don't think we can be having, you know, players expected to to stay behind for over an hour and sign autographs. That's just not sustainable. Mm. But, you know, as, as much as they've got those little things to iron out, I do hope that sense of family does sort of remain going forward as well. I, I do just want to talk about the Champions League progress this year. Um, a dramatic win against uh, Leon that didn't look like it was going to happen until the, the very last moments. I nearly walked out the stadium because I thought the referee <laughs> was about to blow the whistle and I stopped and luckily the VAR check took so long for the penalty um, which was of course an historic night uh, for the team and and for for progression even though they lost to Barcelona who of course have just recently won the Champions League um, Emma Hayes was very strong wasn't she about the second leg at the new camp in terms of how much the team I guess have progressed from that final in 2021 yeah absolutely I think if you you watch those two performances it was it was chalk and cheese really obviously you know a bit of a, a mauling back in in, uh, in 2021 and a disastrous start and I think you know the important thing was that Chelsea couldn't let that happen in the first leg and they didn't they kept the score down which gave them a chance going to going away to Barcelona and um, yeah that game at the, at the new Camp I thought they I thought Chelsea did really really well I think you know Barcelona are the best side in Europe they proved that um, in emphatic fashion at the weekend coming from two goals down to, to beat Wolfsburg and I do think you know with Chelsea there's maybe a slight bit of an inferiority complex when they come up against against Barcelona because of what happened in that final and that's the next step for for Chelsea and for Emma Hayes you know this is the holy grail for 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 Chelsea it's the trophy that they've never won obviously Arsenal the only English club to to win the Champions League and that was a long time ago when the game was very very different so um yeah it's it's difficult um and you know I'm not sure what the magic ingredient is that that's missing um but I think it's just about chipping away and and you know they've made progress over the last two years so now it's about making more progress, mm. continuing to invest and recruit shrewdly as they have been doing. Um, and I, I think they will get there. And I think if anyone can get Chelsea there, it's Emma Hayes. 
you know, it's, it's one of those things with a cup competition and, and sorry to always refer to the men's side, but, you know, it took the men a, a very long time to win the Champions League. And some of that at times is down to fortune and some of that because it is a cup competition. You know, you, you face Leon, you beat them and then you have to face Barcelona. You maybe could have got a better draw. So at times you are kind of in the gods of kind of hoping that maybe at times you, you get a nicer draw. And especially as well, having to, I always think in the Champions League, if you have to play at home first, that's always yeah. a, a very difficult thing uh, to encounter. But it definitely felt like a, that Leon victory, particularly g- given how difficult an evening it was, psychologically, do you think that penalty shootout win, although it, it wasn't the start of a miraculous run to the trophy, actually could propel them and, and be leaned upon in upcoming years when they get to those tough moments again, potentially against Barcelona? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've showed they can they can beat elite European sides, and they've shown that even you know against Barcelona, although they didn't progress, that they compete. They can compete with these these great European sides as well. Um, and I think you know Barcelona showed obviously the immense character to come back in, in that final against Wolfsburg. But in that first half, they showed that they can be got at. You know, Chelsea have the top players as you know, as we've spoke about, Gary Wright and Sam Kerr, and, and all over the park as well. Um, and it's just maybe, as you say, sometimes you just need that little bit of luck. You need that sort of one defensive error that you can pounce on. You need that one moment that can change a game or a, a home draw in the second leg to, to get you over the line. And I think Chelsea will get that. Um, but yeah, definitely, I think that win over over Leon was was massive, and it has to be something that they, they draw upon next season because it's proof that they can they can beat the very best. Looking forward to next season. I mean, two players, two big characters who won't be at Chelsea, who have moved on. Uh, Peniel Harder, who, of course, had a really big influence in the FA Cup final after coming off the bench, and, and Magda Eriksson. Their departures, of course, were emotional. Um, I guess th- there's one way to look at it in terms of their legacy and, and what they've contributed. But, but does it speak to the constant evolution that we've seen under Emma Hayes that there is a sense that, right, we're losing two big figures here, but actually as we're about to get to, there are going to be those to step in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one one sort of facet of Emma Hayes' work at Chelsea that that is so impressive is her ability to sort of the, the succession planning and knowing sort of when it's, you know, it's when it's time for sentimentality and also when it's time for somebody to move on. And, you know, I think Magda Eriksson has, has actually been exceptional in, in the second half of the season, deputising, you know, in the absence of, of Millie Bright and, and Khadisha Buchanan. Um, and she will be missed and both of them will be missed for the quality and also, as you say, for, for the character and, and their experience and what they bring to the dressing room. But the reason Chelsea keep winning is because they've not let this side stagnate. They've reinvented and every couple of years, you know, they bring in, you know, one or one or two players. I mean, um, obviously, when it when it comes to the women's side of things, I'm completely neutral. But on the on the men's side of things, you know, I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan. So, you know, I've I've watched my team um you know, the past few seasons, they have stagnated. They haven't recruited shrewdly. They haven't thought, you know, Jeannie Van Alden's leaving. Let's bring in a player to replace him. Or, you know, Dan Lovren's leaving. We need another, another centre-back. And they, they paid the price for that. And Chelsea, you know, conversely, have done the exact opposite. And they've recruited really, really smartly. Um, and, you know, that's been that's been great to see. And that's a real sort of hallmark of their success. So I think as much as Peniel and Magda will be massive misses, and I think, you know, they also deserve enormous credit for what, what they've done off the pitch as well, sort of really advocating for the LGBT community um, and being so open about that. You know, they had a, a great conversation with, with Aspa Laqueta sort of earlier in the season, um, which, you know, is so important in terms of helping sort of 
those break those stigmas and, and taboos and stuff within the game. But um, yeah, they will be missed massively. That that there's no doubt about that. But they've already made steps to bring in, you know, replacements. So it's be exciting to see how they get on as well. Just focusing on those replacements. I mean, in terms of we were just speaking about the Champions League and kind of that experience you need to get over the line. I mean, bringing in a player from Lyon that that feels like quite a shrewd piece of business. It does, yeah, and and they're bringing in you know sort of young players as well, but players that have experienced experienced things. And I think that the nice thing is, yeah, they're bringing in top players, but they're equally bringing them into a side that, yes, one or two players are leaving, but you know the the crux of this side, the core of this side, have have experience of, of winning titles, have experience of playing in the Champions League. So it's almost not sort of like these new players are being thrown into the deep end. They mm. they're able to sort of maybe take a little bit of time to bed in. But yeah, some really exciting, some some really exciting prospects coming in, you know, as well, bringing in um, Nicky Everard, new goalkeeper as well, who who have a bit of time to, to bed in. Um, so yeah, it's it's an exciting time, I think, to be a, to be a Chelsea women's fan. Also, I guess solid, uh, solidifying who they've already got in the squad with the recent announcements of contracts for for both Lauren James and Marin Mielda. I mean, Lauren James just an outstanding talent and. I think that that's one player you just referenced sort of um, kind of betting in slowly. That that kind of feels like Lauren James a little bit because, you know, maybe not the, the best first season at Chelsea, back at Chelsea, but this year particularly, and also on the international side, she has really started to come into her own and show that talent that everyone knows she has. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think Lauren James, as as you say, she's she's really had to bide her time, hasn't she? And and even this season, you know, I think she had an, an incredible first half of the season, as you say, and, and sort of lit up the pitch for, for the Lionesses at the Arnold Clark Cup earlier this year. And and she's an exceptional talent. I think um, I can't remember who it was who said it, but she's maybe since since Kelly Smith, probably England's most technically gifted player, one of the most exciting players that, that England have had. So you know, it'll be really exciting to see her progression over the, you know, the coming years. But Emma Hayes, I think, is probably her biggest critic. But I mean, like in the best possible way. You know, I think, you know, she was taken off in that game against Reading, and she's, you know, I think she actually said to, to Emma Hayes, "Why have you taken me off?" And then you see, sort of later that evening, they're singing karaoke together, and they and I think that that's such an underrated ability as a manager to be able to, to you know, guide a young player and and be harsh with them. For their own benefit but then also be able to manage them and, and deal with their emotions and that's what emma hayes is so good at but yeah laura james is, is an exceptional exceptional talent you know one of those players that when she gets on the ball you're just so excited and induces all these sort of gasps from the crowd with some of the stuff that she's able to do but for her now i guess it's about staying injury free and, and building on that and getting a little bit of consistency um, and i'm sure sort of you know next season we'll maybe see us you know completing more 90 minutes and starting more games um, but yeah, an exciting talent and really important for her to, to sign a new deal as well. I guess just briefly looking forward uh, away from Chelsea, obviously the World Cup this summer, uh, several Chelsea players, unfortunately some like Frank Kirby not involved because of injury and that, that is a real shame. Um, I guess for some of those players away, I mean, I, of course we focus on the England side, but obviously for Sam Kerr, this is going to be quite an emotional summer, you suspect in terms of a, a home tournament and, and what she can achieve. I do just want to briefly touch on the, the like the dispute going on between the clubs and the international sides in terms of letting players go to the World Cup. I mean, can you walk through some of that? Because that, along with the broadcasting side of things, there are some awkward conversations and, and disputes going on before this landmark tournament. 
But yeah, and it, you know, it's it's disappointing actually. And I think sort of across this whole year, there's been sort of a little bit of a backdrop of, of turbulence for for a number of, of women's teams. You know, we've seen at the moment a number of Spanish players. You know, Spain arguably have the, a squad filled with the most naturally gifted players, and they're not going to be going because of an on, ongoing dispute because of with, with their football federation over the manager. We've had you know pay disputes with Canada and things like that. So all of that has been going on. Um, and then, as you say, there's now this club versus country row a number of clubs you know not going to release their players um until a certain date you know clubs want it countries wanting them to come sooner um so that's a little bit of a mess but you know it's it's understandable for both parties obviously country the countries want the players as soon as possible so they can get to work and, and get on into training camps and things like that but we've seen this season you know arsenal are the prime example a number of international players have sustained really serious injuries and there's there's a question mark over is that to do with playing too many games or playing too many games in, in a condensed period of time so obviously the clubs have a vested interest in in protecting their players and um, so it'll be interesting to see how that all gets resolved and then obviously yeah, the, the the broadcast dispute I think it will be settled I'm hoping it will be you know they've been they've been sort of whisperings for a while that the BBC and ITV are both in you know pretty deep negotiations with with FIFA about getting these broadcasting rights in the UK um, and hopefully sort of that will get over the line and, and other European nations will, will follow suit as well. I know sort of a number of, of different sports ministers wrote to, to FIFA and to broadcasters last week to sort of say, you know, sort it out basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, a, it's a shame because, you know, this this is has the potential to be one of the best World Cups ever, you know, in terms of some of the talent we've got going, in terms of the, the interest and the crowds. And, you know, it's, it promises to be a really exciting spectacle. So it would be a real shame for any of these issues off the pitch whether that be you know club versus country or whether that be disputes between players and federations mm. or broadcasters you know hopefully that won't and um, that won't affect what's going on on the pitch especially from an England perspective after last summer you know to to think that that kind of momentum and interest could be halted I know that obviously in terms of time zones and time difference that you know for broadcasters that makes things of course slightly awkward but you'd suspect given getting to the semi-final in the 2019 World Cup and, and winning the Euros. Like, this is... it. You just hope that common sense will prevail. Like, it's in the best interest of everyone for FIFA, for the players, and for the broadcasters. Um, as I say, I mean, I'm just... I guess we focus on the England side of things and, and having it broadcast here, but it just... It would feel like the whole game would be shooting itself in the foot at a time when that momentum has been growing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, uh, as you say, it's it's difficult because, you know, last summer was so perfect because it was a home tournament and obviously England went all the way. And I think those two things maybe had a little bit of a, a part to play in it with each other as well. But, you know, it is going to be different. It's going to be different time zones. It's not a home tournament. Um, but I still think there'll be enormous interest in it, you know, in the UK and abroad. You know, we, we're hoping that the Lionesses are going to go deep into the tournament I know obviously they've been hampered a little bit by injury in, in recent months, but you would still back them to get out of the group and, you know, hopefully advance to, to you know, go all the way, but, you know, advance into those later stages. So it would be a real shame if that if that was to to, to sort of impact the, the broadcasting dispute as well. And yeah, it, it, is, it is a shame and, and you do hope that common sense prevails. And I do think it will, um, certainly in this country, but... Yeah, it's a sh- it'll be a shame if, if other European countries are missing out because broadcasters can't reach an agreement. 
just back to Chelsea for for one final question, and I guess it, it's a difficult one to answer at this stage because we've just wrapped up one season. Man United were the the biggest rivals this season. Who would you say, based on what you're you're seeing now, would you suggest is going to be the biggest obstacle for Emma Hayes' Chelsea title winning sort of uh, machine to to overcome next year? I think Manchester United again potentially. I think you know this season it it felt like it was the start of something. You know, I was at I wasn't at Reading. I was at the um, I was at the Liverpool United game that day and I was sort of anticipating at the final whistle for the players to sort of be very downbeat and you know we've missed out on the final day and um, but it actually was quite a it was quite a jubilant sort of hopeful um, atmosphere among the players and you almost got the sense that this was the start of something for them um, and if they can if they can invest right if they can bring in a couple of other top, top signings in the summer you know if they can keep hold of Alessia Russo uh, or, or owner owner Badgley who's, who's obviously linked with with Barcelona, um, you know that will they will be a real obstacle. Uh, Arsenal again, I think will come stronger next season. Um, you know they've had absolutely rotten luck with injuries. Um, they've obviously been linked with a move for, for Alessio Russo as well, um, and they've got a couple of players leaving. So um, I think it will be between Manchester United and and Arsenal. But I think United do feel like they're they're on the precipice of just taking off into a real sort of force. Um, so if they can maintain that momentum from this season and, and recruit well in the summer, then I think they could they could be the biggest threat to Chelsea's crown. But it's Chelsea's to lose. You know, I'm always going into a season back in Chelsea to, to win the WSL. Mm. You hopefully they don't recruit too well so Chelsea can, <laughs> can keep that title for for another season. Uh, thank you so much, Beth, for joining me. Uh, just before we wrap up, uh, just give you a chance now to, to shout out where people can find your work on on reach in terms of covering the women's game heading into to a massive summer. Yep. So um, my Twitter handle is at Beth underscore Lindop. So most of my work you'll find on there. Um, and we also have an incredible team um, of, of writers um, working across the country, working, covering various different clubs. And I'll just make sure that I give the right Twitter handle before I say the name of our account. It's it's at our women's football. So, um, yeah, if you type in reach women's football into Twitter, you should be able to find all of our work from all of our brilliant writers there. So, um, yeah, but no, thank you very much for having me. It's been great. No worries. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week focusing on Mauricio Pochettino from a Spurs point of view. That'll be very interesting. So thank you. Please do rate and review the, uh, the podcast positively. It really does help out. And we will see you again very soon.